Uh, I'm Andrew Eichen. And I'm DeAndre Jones, and we thank you for tuning in. Tonight we're bringing you all three tonight we're bringing you all three solid stories about happenings here at NC State and around the Triangle. DeAndre covered a program that's starting to keep our athletes cool, the opening of a new college here on campus, and the guest on show with with a show with a story to tell. But before all that, we have weather. Alright guys, so today it's looking um it's looking about eighty six degrees as the highs, um, which is uh, so steadily decreasing now because it's of course later in the day. 73 degrees is our low today, 30% chance of rain with isolated thunderstorms heading into the nighttime. Uh, Wednesday, we have an 89-degree high, 74-degree low with a 40% chance of rain. And uh, we're looking at afternoon thunderstorms then, too. Um, thunderstorms are going to be a, co- a common pattern through this week as we move into Thursday. 86-degree high, 72-degree uh, low, and a 60% chance of rain. More thunderstorms on Friday with a 78-degree high, a little, a little bit of a cool down. 69-degree low, that's the only time we're going to be getting to the 60s the whole week. Um, with a 50% chance of rain. Uh, Saturday, 81-degree high, 71-degree low, with, an, with a more isolated thunderstorms and a 30% chance of rain. Sunday, 84-degree high, 71-degree low, with scattered thunderstorms. Uh, Monday, looking the exact same. And that's the weather. Thanks, DeAndre. Canadian authorities have found evidence that the train which exploded in Quebec Saturday was tampered with. Investigators believe the train's brakes may have been disabled, causing it to speed into the town of Lec Magoatique, derail and explode. The train was hauling 72 tanker cars carrying crude oil. It caused an intense fire which burned for 36 hours. 15 people died in the explosion and 35 are still missing. Two weeks after the Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, American Civil Liberties Union said Tuesday that it plans to challenge North Carolina's constitutional ban on gay marriage. The ACLU says it will amend a federal lawsuit filed last year on behalf of six same-sex couples where one partner wanted to adopt the other's child. The organization asked North Carolina Attorney General... Roy Cooper to permit the change, but said it would not. Said it would petition the court to allow the change if the state doesn't agree to it. And another NC State student is in the news. Dr. Hesham Kandil received his Ph.D. in biological and agricultural engineering with a minor in water resources from NC State in 1993. Kandil was appointed by former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi to serve as his prime minister in August of last year. But last Wednesday, the same day that Morsi was unseated in a coup, Kandil was also dismissed of his duties and sentenced to a year in prison. However, this ruling is not at least directly related to the coup, since it was in fact a prior verdict which was upheld by an appeals court. Kandil was convicted of failing to execute a verdict overriding the reinstatement of employees at Tonto Flax, an oil company, and for annoying the company's sale to a Saudi businessman. After the sentence, Kandil was arrested by military police. And that's the news. In the summertime, heat exhaustion can be a huge problem for North Carolinians and any place that has especially hot summers like we do. Fastman Urgent Care is putting on a program to help students everywhere stay cool in the heat of the summer while playing sports. It's my day. 
Real Hayden with Fast Man sat down with me to talk a little bit more about this. So, we're going to start the interview by getting your name and title. So, can we get that, please? Yes. My name is Ruel Hayden. I'm Director of Marketing and Community Relations for Fast Med Urgent Care. Ruel's on the phone with me right now to talk a little bit about the Keep Cooler program. Uh, Ruel, what exactly is the Keep Cooler program? Well, DeAndre, in short, this is a a really special uh, program that we started back in 2011. And uh, it basically boils down to this. Uh, the FastMed Keep Cooler program is a tool, uh, an education tool, uh, for local schools and other community organizations on the dangers of heat uh, fatigue, heat exhaustion, and heat stroke. And uh, in a nutshell, what it is is uh, a five-gallon water cooler that's provided to local athletic directors, coaches, um, sports directors, community sports organizers, and the like. And uh, we provide those to those coordinators for the teams. And it's a, a constant reminder as they're out there uh, in the heat uh, playing that sport, uh, whether it be soccer or uh, softball or baseball, that uh, they need to stay hydrated throughout the game and to not assume that they're doing all right. And that cooler is a reminder. And it's provided uh, to that organization at no cost. Uh, what caused the program to get started? Now, well, as I mentioned, it was started back in 2011, and uh, between uh, now and then, and even before 2011, uh, FastMed urgent care providers at our clinics uh, had seen students coming in with symptoms and sometimes uh, cases of either heat fatigue or heat exhaustion and heat stroke. And it's actually very, very common, DeAndre, uh, to, to get heat fatigue. Um, you can do so very frequently here in the South because uh, it gets so hot and humid. And you think, well, you know, uh, I'm doing all right. I, I feel like I'm sweating quite a bit here. Um, I don't feel dehydrated, not like when you actually go to the desert if you've been out west. And so you don't feel parched. And so it can lead you to a false sense of uh, not really knowing that your body is becoming dehydrated and you'll start to uh, feel fine. A lot of times it will start with uh, headaches. Um, or a muscle cramps, and it will progress, or I should say degress, and uh, before you know it, you might uh, end up having heat exhaustion or heat stroke. So you mentioned that this started up in uh, 2011, so that means you're going into your third season now. Um, how successful has the program been in the past? Uh, very successful, DeAndre. We uh, recently just put uh, some news out uh, that uh, we've reached over 100, and actually uh, since that uh, announcement, it's become somewhat dated, but uh, we've reached, uh, recently announced that we've reached over 170 uh, communities with our, our Keep Cooler program, and that's across uh, all of our markets in North Carolina and in Arizona. So we're very excited about that, over 170 over the life of the program. You, you definitely touched on this a little bit before about, you know, the coolers and whatnot. Um, are there any other aspects of the, of the program besides uh, the delivering the coolers to different schools and areas? Mm-hmm. Well, the Keep Cooler program is part of our Fast Med Cares program, DeAndre, Fast Med Cares program. And what it's basically uh, for, for the, for the listeners, is the cooler program is specific to you know, heat exhaustion. But Fast Med is big on prevention. And uh, one of the areas and the ways that we do marketing and outreach, DeAndre, is to put programs out there that benefit the community and that obviously spread Fast Med's name and brand out into the community so that when you have a need for urgent 
uh, care for uh, urgent medical services, you think of FastMed first. And so uh, we've got many other programs associated with that uh, FastMed Cares program, one of them being very relevant to local schools is that we have a uh, uh, concussion seminar, uh, a process and education where we can, uh, one of our providers can be scheduled to come out on site and um, provide educational information and warning signs regarding uh, playing sports and, uh, and getting a, a concussion because uh, head injuries are very frequent and very common, um, especially in football and other outdoor sports. And you really don't always know when you're hit in the head whether or not that could be a concussion or not. You might bounce right back and think you're just fine. So that's one area. And then we do a lot of other things. We partner with the uh, North Carolina High School Athletic Association, um, and they govern, obviously, high school and athletic activities associated with uh, uh, everything here in North Carolina, but uh, in regards to sports physicals. And uh, a lot of freshmen entering a high school and, and going into sports, they may not be aware of this, uh, and the, them and their parents, but um, it is a requirement that all students that participate in any type of sports activity here in North Carolina get a sports physical uh, by a licensed medical practitioner. And you can get uh, a sports physical at any one of our urgent care clinics, and so oftentimes we'll offer either discounts or specials on these uh, sports physicals to uh, help get word out in the community about um, staying healthy, um, their medical uh, background and history so that that's uh, on file should uh, any injuries occur that that can be noted. So So what are some of the main mistakes that people will make in the summer heat? I guess more so misconceptions that they have about their own bodies with the summer heat. Well, I'm glad you asked about it. Uh, I think even this past weekend, DeAndre, we saw here in North Carolina, uh, the temperatures can be in the high 80s, sometimes the low 90s, right? But yeah. the heat index can be, you know, 95 to 100, uh, and sometimes it's um, double-digit difference uh, in that regard. It's, uh, it's 10 degrees hotter with regards to the heat index. And so we all know these uh, elements. We know that this is a reality because we are from North Carolina. But uh, some of the areas specifically that people need to recognize, and I'll... I'll uh, I'll key in on, uh, although I'm not a provider, but I do recommend that if someone believes that they, um, you know, have one of these symptoms, that they go to an urgent care, uh, a FASMED urgent care center, and they get checked out um, because prevention is key. And so if you can identify and you think, hey, I think I might have one of these symptoms, go to an urgent care and get diagnosed so that you know for sure from a medical provider who can, um, you know, evaluate your situation, run tests. But one of the, a couple of the symptoms right off the bat and initially that you should uh, you would see are um, uh, headaches, as I'd mentioned before, uh, and it basically progresses. It's kind of a downhill spiral. So obviously you're going to be very hot uh, with uh, heat fatigue. It's going to make you rather tired, and you're going to feel like you need to take a nap. But uh, it will uh, slowly degress or uh, deteriorate into uh, to other conditions such as muscle cramps, um, confusion, uh, and disorientation, dizziness. Um, you might also see that person's complexion change. It, it's based upon the individual, but you might see that individual become either very pale or very red. Um, and then as it progresses to you know um, past heat exhaustion to actual heat stroke, you'll see um, elevated body temperature, 
slurred speech. Um, and what's oddly enough is that uh, the individual may experience what they call, uh, what they consider chills. They might act like they're, hey, I feel like I'm really cold. And it's actually the onset of heat stroke, and it's very dangerous. And they can get into hallucinations. Um, and, and obviously they could collapse, and uh, that will require emergency medical treatment. So uh, that's kind of the, the gamut. Um, moving to a little bit more logistic-wise for the program, does FastMed fund this program, or where do you guys get your money from to do this? Well, it is out of the FastMed uh, marketing and community relations budget. So um, instead of spending money on uh, a lot of other traditional forms of advertising, such as a billboard, um, we will reach out and, and put these programs together to uh, to benefit the community. So that yes, it's funded by uh, FastMed. Is it an actual like urgent care um, office, or can people go and see you guys, or uh, where where are you located at? Mm-hmm. Well, simply put, FastMed is almost everywhere, which is great for uh, your listeners and great for you and anyone who needs uh, an urgent care center uh, with our quality. We have currently over uh, 31 locations here in North Carolina. We're going to be opening up another seven before the end of the year, just here in North Carolina alone, and we span everything from all the way out to Asheville and uh, and, and the Boone community, um, all the way out to um, Clayton um, and uh, Fayetteville. So we're, and we're actively moving toward the coast as well. So soon we'll be from... Uh, one corner of the state to the other. And uh, I think you asked uh, the question of, you know, regarding what is fast that in some of our services. I mean, the scope is so broad, I wouldn't want uh, to, to spend an hour <laughs> on the air talking about all the different things that we do. But on a, on a very high level, and some of uh, what a lot of our patients come in and uh, see us for, everything from asthma, uh, headaches, uh, allergies, uh, so we call that sinusitis. Um, they'll come in for uh, acne because we also do uh, skin uh, treatment for uh, uh, everything from uh, insect bites, uh, skin rashes, and infections, etc. Uh, we do a lot. We see a lot of patients that come in for the sore uh, for sore throat, um, cough, uh, the flu. Obviously, is a big one. A lot of people will come into uh, our urgent care center for with ear aches. Um, we do stitches. Um, we do treat individuals with uh, that have chronic uh, acute issues with their their back if they have lower lumbar uh, issues. Mm-hmm. And we do some very basic preventative like sports physicals and vaccines. For for our listeners, are there any websites that they can get more information about FastMed or about the Keep Cooler program uh, that that you can direct them to? Yeah, absolutely, DeAndre. Uh, your your listeners can go to uh, FAST med.com that's fastmed.com and uh, they can click on our, our Twitter page and our Facebook page we have a lively uh, social media presence so check us out there and we post a lot of photos and activities regarding what we're doing in our communities so take a moment send us an email and uh, we, you might find some of the community activities that are going on in your neighborhood uh, on our website and on our Twitter and Facebook feed Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, DeAndre. And for I Am The Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. A big thanks to Ruel Hayden for talking to me a little bit about the, about the Keep Cooler program. Uh, just a reminder to everyone that's, you know, that's around Raleigh over the summer, um, 
be active outside, but you know, also be very careful about your hydration levels. Uh, so with that, we're going to cut to a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back in a little bit. If you are a new student, you might not realize that the College of Sciences was not here the year before you. Today, I brought Dean Solomon in, the new dean of the College of Sciences, to talk a little bit about the college and the opportunities that it offers, not only to the students, but to the public as well. Hey there guys, this is DeAndre and I'm sitting here with Dean Solomon of the College of Sciences. Dean, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me today, DeAndre. Of course, of course. And this is you know, a really exciting thing having this new college open up. So uh, what majors will the College of Sciences include? Well, the new college is going to include all of the undergraduate and graduate majors uh, in the physical and mathematical sciences like chemistry and physics and math and meteorology and so on. And many of the majors uh, in the life sciences, such as biological sciences and zoology and, and genetics. Very cool. And uh, what are some of the neat, unique aspects of the College of Science? Well, I'd say on the neat side, uh, the College of Sciences is going to offer opportunities for students to get into the research laboratories to engage in real hands-on science and to experience the thrill of discovery that science is all about. Uh, perhaps on the unique side, uh, NC State's got an opportunity to become a national leader in bringing science to the public. Uh, we've got a K-12 outreach program called the Science House, uh, that engages students and teachers across the state. And then through our partnership with the North Carolina Museum of Sciences, uh, we're able to engage the general public in programs that we call citizen science, where we get citizens actually contributing to the advancement of science and thereby learning about it. Um, the academic programs of the college are um, obviously preparing the next generation of scientists and so we're modifying the curricula of uh, the college to better enable our graduates, that next generation of sciences, scientists, to <clears throat> be able to communicate science to the public and to inform public policy. They've got to see uh, communicating science to the public as part of their professional responsibility. We can't complain that the public doesn't understand climate change or fracking or science issues surrounding the topics, important issues of the day, if the scientists are only talking to each other and, and not to the public and not to our decision makers. Yeah, so definitely an important thing, letting, letting the public know. Personally, what are you most excited for about the college? Well, many of the great problems facing society today in a wide range of areas from health, uh, to energy, to environmental sustainability are going to be solved at the interfaces amongst the physical, mathematical, biological, and engineering sciences. And the creation of a broad college of sciences will facilitate that kind of uh, interdisciplinary research. Um, this, this interdisciplinary research has been referred to in the last couple of years as the convergence of the sciences. That's the N-word these days, convergence. 
another N word is big data, and that as well is uh, the big data revolution is another part of that convergence of the sciences. Uh, I, I should be quick to add that uh, implementing effective solutions of the great societal challenges is also going to depend on the social and behavioral sciences and on the humanities as well as on the natural and mathematical sciences. And finally, I'd also note that as um, science becomes more interdisciplinary, our curricula that are preparing the next generation of those scientists has to change to reflect that evolution to uh, an interdisciplinary approach. Okay, so uh, what is the College of Scientists replacing, if it is replacing anything on campus, uh, is it taking the place of anything, first of all? Uh, it's not so much a replacement of something as it is uh, a bringing together into one broad college the biological sciences, the physical and chemical sciences, the mathematical and statistical sciences, and the earth system sciences, bringing them together into one organizational unit to facilitate that convergence, that interdisciplinarity, to create serendipity for scientists from different fields to interact and explore together. And uh, what made you want to be the dean of this college? Well, this is a bold and, and timely move, and I'm uh, excited by the challenge of helping NC State take advantage of this great opportunity to make um, significant contributions to scientific discovery, to address great societal problems, and to prepare the next generation of scientists. It looks like it's going to be fun. Cool, cool, and congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Are there any interesting events that are happening in the college soon that new students especially should be looking out for? Sure. Uh, on July 1, the birthday, the day on which the college was born, that was a week ago, uh, we welcomed uh, students to morning science classes with uh, across the campus with, with coffee and donuts. That was the first official event. Uh, then we hosted a, a luncheon for all the college faculty and staff who were coming together for the first time officially. Uh, we did that at Mitch's Tavern, another uh, tradition at NC State. Uh, we're going to be hosting uh, a sequence of high-profile seminars and other events throughout the coming academic year, uh, and there will, that will include a feature event, if you will, that will occur during the statewide North Carolina Science Festival uh, in, in April. What, what is your day-to-day -day job like as a dean over the summer? Um, what, if, what are you busy with every single day? Well, we've spent... Uh, the last uh, 14 months, getting the, the the creation of the college was announced in April of 2012, uh, and we had 14 months to move uh, programs, people, budgets to create the new college, effective July 1, 2013. There are about 575 personnel involved in that change. There are about uh, 4,000 students who, who are majoring in the curricula of the new college. Um, there are, um, as I said, many curricula, undergraduate and, and graduate programs. There are substantial financial moves that had to be made to uh, move salaries and operating budgets into the, the new college. There are space issues. Where, where will people sit? Where will their labs be? So there were a huge array of personnel and program and policy matters that had to get resolved, um, including interesting questions like, so whose alumni are they? 
if someone got a degree in, in um, physics or uh, genetics some years ago, and those programs are now part of the new College of Sciences. So for the last year, we've been working on uh, sort of the nuts and bolts, the business parts and administrative parts of putting the new college together. And then over the coming year, we will uh, continue our work to build the strategic plan, the strategic vision for uh, the college and what its strategic positioning would be nationally amongst College of Sciences. So it's been a busy year and another busy year to come. I bet. And one uh, more quick logistical question. What buildings will the new college be in? Well, uh, I don't know that I could list every one off the top of my head, but certainly the buildings that did house the College of the Departments in the Physical and Mathematical Sciences, such as Sass Hall on one end of the campus, uh, Riddick Hall, Cox and Dabney Halls, Jordan Hall, uh, some uh, spaces on Centennial Campus, and also now buildings that are housed that house some of the life science departments, like uh, David Clark Laboratories, Thomas Hall, and so on. So it's a again a convergence of spaces uh, to accommodate the convergence of the disciplines. So. Uh, last question is, where should people go if they want info, um, info on the new college? Well, the college website is live. It's real easy to remember, and it's simply sciences, that's plural, sciences at ncsu.edu. So that's the college website, and you can look there for event announcements and also for information on how to like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Cool. Well, Dean Solomon, I'd like to thank you for coming in once again. And uh, for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. I know that the molecules in my body are traceable to phenomenon in the cosmos. That makes me want to grab people in the street and say, have you heard this? The beauty of a living thing is not the atoms that go into it, but the way those atoms are put together. Our last story highlights an up-and-coming lawyer turned com- comedian who will be performing in Raleigh Thursday night. Alex Barnett is also a contestant on the Comedy World Series and an interesting tor- story to tell. DeAndre has more. By the way, my wife is black, and um, even today's year, people do get a little weird about interracial dating. Like, not you guys, I could tell. <laughs> a lot of interracial dating here tonight, Mike. White and off-white. <laughs> so people, what is it like? Like, dude, what's with the black woman? Like, I don't know, because black guys don't do it for me. Truth is, you know, people can't really get, seem to get their arms around it. Like, how is this black woman with this white guy unless there's this complicated backstory? Like, she's an R&B singer and I'm her agent. <laughs> I was kind of intimidated when I first met her family. His brother's like 6'6", six, six, played college ball, black too. And, and he comes up, he's like, yo man, I got a simple wingspan. Who has a wingspan? 
you just heard Alex Barnett, an aspiring comedian with a bit of a funny story. He'll be performing here in Raleigh on the 11th in the Comedy World Series, and tonight he's lending us a little bit of his time to talk to me about his story, how he got to where he is, and how to chase your dreams. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Alex Barnett, who is a comedian uh, coming to our city to perform um, with a little bit of an interesting story. So Alex is going to be our guest for tonight. So Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you here. Uh, sure. Well, th- thanks, first of all, for having me on the show. Uh, I'm really glad to be here talking to you. I'm uh, a comedian from New York City and also a lawyer. I left my uh, my legal career to pursue a career in comedy, and um, I'm coming down to Raleigh to perform in a uh, preliminary, I guess a satellite round or preliminary round of the World Series of Comedy, which is being held at Good Nights Comedy Club Thursday, July, or all this week, but I'm going to be performing Thursday, July 11th, and then uh, most likely again Saturday, July 13th. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that and looking forward to coming down to Raleigh. I know that you, I mean, you just said you're a lawyer or you're a former lawyer slash comedian. So what made you want to make the switch from lawyer to full-time comedian? Uh, well, the, the long answer is I was never really passionate about practicing law. Uh, the short answer is I got laid off my last job and I sort of thought it was a really great opportunity to maybe pursue another career. <laughs> right. Okay. So how did you get into comedy? Uh, well, originally I started when I was still uh, with my old firm. I was doing some writing. I was trying to write the great American novel and uh, some short stories as well. And I took one or two acting classes just sort of as part of this creative exploration. And along the way, I got notice about a a comedy class, which was uh, like a six-week-long workshop where you work on some material. At the end, you do five minutes up in front of friends and family. And I was really taken with it. I mean, I just found it, like, incredibly... uh, Addictive, like like a roller coaster on I don't know, like some sort of like like on cocaine or something. Yeah. So I uh, <laughs> um, I had always wanted to pursue comedy, but I really wasn't able to with my with my legal career. I was traveling too much and working too many hours. But once I got laid off, you know, I was in the process of looking for another job, and I just thought, well, you know, this is an opportunity. This is, I'll never need another opportunity again where I could maybe change careers. You know, at the time I wasn't married, I didn't have kids, I had no debt. Um, it seemed like a good thing to do. Now, of course, I, I am married, I have a kid. <laughs> and uh, choosing comedy doesn't necessarily seem like the smartest thing in the world how I've done, but it's only late. I'm already I'm well down the path. Would you classify yourself as someone that uh, chases your dreams? Because it seems like this comedy thing is... I mean, one of those careers that, you know, people always have in the back of their heads that they would like to do. You saw the opportunity and you took it. So would you say that in in that way that you are, you know, chasing your dreams? You know, it's fun. It's a great question. And I, I tell you, I don't know that I would have said that about myself uh, before now. I think, you know, like a lot of people, particularly a lot of lawyers, I was a pretty conservative, risk-averse person who wasn't particularly a daredevil with respect to anything. But you know, this is the one, I think, one of the few times in my life when I really did chase kind of a passion and, really, and pursued a dream, and that's what I'm doing. Um, and I definitely recommend it to people, although I think they should definitely go into it with their eyes open and be prepared for the lean times. <laughs> 
I guess uh, to keep this you know pertinent to my listeners because we know we're we're a college radio station. So, uh, what is your advice to a college student who needs l- a little bit of help on deciding how to chase their dreams and how to make those things uh, into a reality? Sure. It, well, it's a great question, and I, I tell you, I wish somebody had asked me that or asked me to think about it when I was back in college, because I think I was one of those people who sort of spent my high school years trying to get into college, trying to do as well as I could to get into the best college possible, and then got to college, and all of a sudden realized I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. And no one sort of said, well, you can do anything you want. So I, I floundered around, and, and it took a long time to, to sort of pick and law, which I sort of found by default. So I think people should chase their dreams. I, th- I think when you're young and you're in college and you know maybe your level of responsibility is a little lower than it might be as an adult, <laughs> it's a perfect time to do all the things you think might be interesting, you know, do a semester abroad or uh, you know, try all kinds of different classes, even if they're not in your major or minor. You know, maybe even if you can work it out with your parents and with the school, take a year off from school to travel or to work in a particular field that you think might be interesting, whether it's law or finance or business or uh, working on a farm or whatever. Um, because I think it's too easy to get pigeonholed and, and fall into a groove if you don't sort of explore the, the larger world. Right. So that, that's what I think people should do, and, and, and read and talk to people and, and, and always think about, like, is this, you know, is this feeding my passion? Am, am I doing this because I enjoy doing it, or am I doing it because someone told me I'm supposed to be doing it? Right. And I think that, um, that, that applies especially here because we know we're sort, of, we're sort of told to follow a certain path and we're also told, like, if you know, if it, it's not going to make you a lot of money, maybe you shouldn't waste your time with it. But I don't think that's necessarily a, a true statement. Um, well, I think, I think that's right. And I think if you look around the world at the people who do really well or who are considered successes, they have success in a lot of different fields. And they make a lot of money in fields where you wouldn't think they would make money. And, you know, just to, by way of example, I can think of this guy, uh, Tony Horton, who's the P90X guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he's essentially a personal trainer. You know, he's working out, and he's teaching people how to work out properly. And I was someone who worked out a lot. And back when I was in college, I never would have thought that being a personal trainer would be the, 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 the stepping stone to financial fortune. But he's proven that if you're really passionate about something and you can help other people, you can make a lot of money doing it and be, and be happy doing it. And I think that would be the lesson that people are in college now is just, you know, go gravitate towards what you really enjoy because that's what you'll put your time and energy into willingly. Obviously, you're a comedian, and you have to draw your material from somewhere. So where do you draw your material from? Uh, <laughs> um, mostly from family. I mean, you know, for college kids, it might not resonate necessarily, although I think it does because some of the stuff I talk about is universal. But I talk about being married, and I talk about having a child, and I talk about struggling financially to raise a child in today's financial world such as it is. Uh, particularly because my wife and I live in New York City, which is in a very expensive city. And I think, like, the economic aspects of what I talk about on stage can will resonate even with college kids who are struggling financially. And I think talking about family will resonate with them because even if they're not parents themselves, they are a part of families, and they understand that dynamic. And they, you know, I'm sure college kids are dating, and they understand human relationships. So, you know, those, those are the things I talk about, the interpersonal stuff. Right. The stuff that make us all human. What does your comedy mean to you? Well, it's 
that's a, that's a really good question. I think it's got a lot of layers to it. First of all, it's very personal because, as I said, I talk about my family. And also, um, uh, my wife is black and I'm white and I'm Jewish and my wife converted to Judaism. So <laughs> I talk a lot about that dynamic, too, about being a multiracial family in today's world where you know we have a biracial president, yet we see that racism is still very much with us. So it's very personal, the stuff I talk about. Um, you know, incidents that occur to us where there's, you know, racist undertones or overtones, for that matter, um, or our financial struggles, which are very real to us, too. Um, at this, and what it also means is it's, it's my ability to um, express myself and express my creative uh, thoughts and ideas to people besides myself. I mean, you know, one, one of the great frustrations, I think, for so many people is that they have a lot of thoughts and feelings and emotions, and they don't get to express them. They don't have an audience for this, um, and I think that's what's at the base of good writing or good, you know, good music or art, art generally. And then, of course, the, the other part of this that's fantastic is with comedy, when you tell material or tell jokes that resonate with the audience and they laugh, it's a great feeling to know that you're entertaining people and making them laugh and maybe lightening their load or brightening their day. It's it's fantastic. You can see you. To, uh, in Raleigh, in the Raleigh area, um, on the 11th? Yes, that's right. I'm definitely performing at Good Nights on the 11th at uh, 8.30 p.m. And then, uh, depending on the outcome of that show, I will be back at Good Nights Saturday night. Um, there's two shows that night, I think at 8 o'clock and at 10 o'clock. If they check the Good Nights website schedule, they'll see it. Mm. Um, I hope to be in all three shows. Part of it will depend, I think, on the reaction, because it, it's part of like a overall comedy uh, festival competition so uh, it's sort of like you know American Idol like I have to keep getting voted beyond to the next level next round so everyone should come out Thursday night and really support so they can be around Saturday night too this is a bit of a, an off question but do you think that you can win this thing oh man I, you know I don't know I, I, I just want to go down and have a good time and, and entertain people and, and hopefully meet some more people and get some more followers and uh, if I win that's gravy you know I think with art, it, it, I, I think it's great to be have the exposure and have the ability to do this, an opportunity to do this. But I hate—I don't hate—but it's, it's disappointing that you know we've now reduced art to competitions because it's so subjective. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to worry about winning or losing. I think I just want to go out and do my best and have people come out and enjoy my my work. And if that all happens, that's that's fantastic. And if I succeed in the competition in terms of prizes or awards or placing first or at the top that's just icing on the cake a quick question about the the competition um did you have to apply for this or did someone approach you for this uh no it was it was by submission so anybody who's involved in it had to submit a tape uh and some bio information and then they selected from the the, the people who submitted and i i don't know how many people submitted i'm assuming it was in the hundreds or thousands and there were uh there are preliminary rounds all over the country at different clubs, and then there's an ultimate um, competition in Vegas in September, I believe. And, uh, you know, I think the result of this, what I'm, what I'm doing now in Raleigh, has some bearing on the Vegas uh, aspect of it. Like, in other words, if I, if I do well enough, I proceed on to that. Um, but I'm just excited to come to Raleigh because I've, got, I've got, actually got a ton of friends down there and who haven't really seen me perform. So this is a chance for them to come out. Um, anyone who's listening, if you want to see Alex, and um, I'm guessing, how many other comedians do you know? Well, there's different nights, so I think it started, uh, or it starts t tonight or tomorrow night, and then it's every night through Saturday night. So 
people can go out any night they want. I highly recommend coming out Thursday night, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, coming to see me. And then please uh, come find me, you know, after the show and say hello. Uh, and or look me up on the web beforehand and you shoot me an email and let me know you're coming. Very cool, very cool. Um, well, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show and giving me some of your time today. Absolutely, and I am serious. People should look me up on the web at uh, alexbarnettcomic.com, and if they plan to come out, definitely let me know in advance, and uh, I'll make a point of looking for people. Very cool. Well, um, thank, thank you, Alex. Thank you. And for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. Back again for this week's Weird Science Special. Okay, so, at the forefront of information processing and biological processing is a new field. It's called synthetic biology. It's becoming increasingly clear that information processing plays a crucial role in enabling the functionality of biological systems on the cellular as well as the molecular levels. When the system is viewed through the lens of semiconductor information processing, biological discovery and the development of medical technology commence. Synthetic biology focuses predominantly on the design and construction of biological systems and devices, which can be applied to the real world in terms of medical technology, such as MRIs and PETs. They can be applied agriculturally towards energy systems, as well as towards the development of new materials. Incorporating biological systems in the development of semiconductor technology helps provide an alternative approach. And this is often useful because physics places extensive limitations on the technology which we can develop, especially in terms of size. We can't always scale as small as we need to scale. And combining biological technology with semiconductor technology helps us overcome some of these physical limits. An example of this would be the fact that DNA achieves phenomenal storage densities, which simply can't be replicated by known semiconductor technologies due to the physical limitations on the size of the semiconductor chip or whatever you're trying to develop. You simply can't scale that small to such a microscopic level. And I covered this technology in depth a few weeks ago. Essentially, 
one gram of DNA can store over two petabytes of data. And this can't be rivaled by modern-day storage devices. This storage density is only achievable through the synthesis of principles. And it can't be replicated by semiconductor technology alone, at least in this point in time. Interestingly enough, the man who specializes his research in digital storage of information in DNA is George Church. And this is the same man who's leading the research in Obama's newly announced Human Brain Project. Church realized the importance in this day and age of creating a map of the human brain. And this should show the activation of brain activity in a much more precise scale than modern measurements we have today. The goal of the project is to map brain activity, which is declared to be one of the most viable scientific challenges of the 21st century. Currently, we can monitor brain activity through PET or MRI imaging, which detects activation of broad regions through standards such as oxygen use. And this pretty much shows how much glucose is consumed, indicating brain activity in a given region. But this method lacks precision as it focuses on one large region of the brain, while brain activity is a lot more concentrated than that. And sometimes we focus on small groups of neurons, and the result is comparable to only looking at a few pixels of an image up close, as opposed to the bigger picture. And by doing this, we do, in fact, lose sight of the bigger picture. And this is where the brain activity map comes in, because the true projection of critical brain activity lies somewhere between the two extremes, of focusing on broad regions or just on small amounts of neurons. This involves somewhere between a few thousand to millions of neurons, and we lack the technology to map such large ensembles of neurons safely on humans. This is the goal of the proposal. We need to develop the technology which enables us to map and track these enormous amounts of cells in animals, and this technology needs to be transferable safely to the human brain. And another parameter of this is the fact that hospitals, universities, and other institutions need to be able to institute this technology. It needs to be somewhat readily available and replicable. Another practical application of synthetic biology is the study of cytomorphic systems. Or in other words, anything that relates to the study of cell structure or function. This exemplifies the benefits of combining synthetic biology and semiconductor research. This field is relatively new, a few years at most, and shows that rigorous mathematical similarities between transistor operation and biochemical reaction operation allow for strong similarities in circuit design in cells and circuit design in semiconductors. Pretty much what this is saying is that we are able to quantify the difference or the similarity between circuits in electronics and circuits in cells, we're able to know that they are similar and manipulate the similarity. If the individual living cell is to be considered as an information processor, then it performs its task with extreme energy efficiency at very high rates. Estimates suggest that substantial energy use reductions may be feasible if we combine biological and electronic systems which is possible due to the deep similarities between circuit design and electronics and circuit design in cells. Practically, these circuits could be used to create ultra-fast supercomputers that predict complex cell response to drugs and possibly facilitate the design of synthetic gene circuits in cells.
scientists are trying to find if the functionality of cellular sensors can be used to inspire equivalent inorganic sensors. The example presented is that of biological cellular quote-unquote noses. And these are supposed to sense molecules and pathogens in the same way that a cell detects a stimulus. So the question presented is, can the biological premise of stimulus detection, which all cells use, be transferable to inorganic compounds or electronics that we create? That's what researchers are trying to determine at the moment. From what you heard, you can probably deduce that lots of new and amazing developments are being made in research. But you can also deduce that we are headed in the direction of biology and that it is becoming more and more relevant. And I really hope that I gave you something to think about this week and tune in later for some more weird science. This has been Jean Jarna for WKNC 88.1 FM, Raleigh. Well, that just about wraps up all we got for you guys this week. A big thanks to Dean Solomon and Royal Hyden for their time. Uh, from all of us here at I in the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. We'd like to thank Gene Zernov and Alex Barnett for taking the time to help with the show. Remember to check out Alex at Good Nights on Thursday night. Yep, and that is going to be at 8.30. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated it, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us at Twitter at, on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. And a quick reminder that Eye on the Triangle is running bi-weekly over the summer. So until July 23rd, good night. <laughs>